Today we are here, uh, Easter resurrection morning. The trial of Jesus is done. The sentence has been carried out. And after he was on the cross, after he died, uh, there was a man, the scriptures tell us, and we see this in, in Matthew, the scripture that was read here, but in the verse chapter before, in chapter 27, we also see it in Mark and Luke and John because they tell the, basically the same story, that there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Joseph was one of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the council. He was one of those who had this, was in the group that had made a decision to put Christ to death. But the scripture tells us he was a secretly a follower of Christ and he didn't go along with the decision. And the scripture tells us that he boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus so that he could give him a proper burial. And this would have been done in a hurry because the Sabbath was approaching just hours away and they couldn't do it on the Sabbath, so they needed to get it done beforehand. And so Joseph, and the scripture in one book tells us, along with another secret follower, Nicodemus, took the body, wrapped it up, put the spices on it, and then placed it in a tomb that Joseph had recently purchased and it was, had been dug out of the rock and was there first time ever to be used. They took Jesus and placed him in there. It says the women watched. The women were there watching so that they would know where to come back. And Jesus' body was placed for burial. Now, that wasn't quite the end of the story, though, because the religious leaders, uh, the, the priests and the Pharisees remembered, wait a minute, there's more to this story. And they went to Pilate and they said, hey, you remember this, this character said that he was going to die, but then he was going to be raised in three days. Now, that's a problem. We don't want that to happen. And we know that's not going to happen, but we don't want any talk of it so, so that no one steals his body. Would you put your seal on the tomb? And Pilate says, sounds like a good idea to me. And so he puts the seal on the tomb. But he also establishes a guard and puts guards there at the tomb so that nobody could get in and steal the body and perpetrate a falsehood. Then our scripture picks up where Kim read for us today. It says, early Sunday morning when a new day was dawning. Oh, I love that. That sounds like the, 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 the uh, opening line of a great novel, doesn't it? A new day was dawning. This was a new day. It was Sunday morning. Jesus' body was in the tomb and we're told that all of a sudden there was this it said great earthquake in what was read. Some, some versions say a violent earthquake. So it, was, it wasn't just a little shake, all right? This was a, a real shake. The violent earthquake was shaking. And we see here that the Bible tells us that an angel came down from heaven. It said the angel's countenance was as, as, light, as lightning. Now, I would think between the, the lightning and the shaking, you would be scared. But it says the angel came down and, and rolled the stone away and plopped himself on top. Now, all I can say is, I would have loved to have been that angel. <laughs> you know, I can imagine that day as the angel duty roster was being passed out. You know, the, you, know you got KP duty, you got to clean the, the bedrooms, you got to, I don't, I don't know what angels do. All I know is one angel got looked at his roster duty and says, 
I get to roll the stone away. I get to do it. Look what I get to do today. And so I can see just coming down. I can see him coming down with, with a thunder, with a roar, rolling that stone away, sitting himself on and saying, game on, game on. Yeah. Sure enough, it was enough to shock and scare the men. They said they fainted and became like dead man. And I think that glow... I, this is taking some, I know, taking some, 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 some literary privilege here. I think that glow was the smile of that angel. I think he was grinning ear from ear. I think his angel's teeth were showing. <laughs> As he was saying, ah, I get to announce. I get to be here. And so, so he, he, the men are laying there, and then along come the women. And he finally gets to speak. In verse 5 of Matthew 28, he says this, Don't be afraid. If you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said he would. I know who you're looking for. I know why you're here. But hey, I got good news. In fact, some of the scriptures, other, other books tell us that, that something, he says something like this. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? This is not the place where he is. He's alive. He's alive. And then to make sure that they understood, that they, that they remembered, that they didn't think this was just out of the blue, he says, as he said he would. And so I imagine their minds are immediately going to, whoa, what's going on here? Okay, as he said he would, he, he's true to his word. He's, he told the truth. He's able to do what he said he was going to do. Jesus is a truth teller. Last week we said, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Yes, the truth is, I was going to rise from the dead, and he did it. It also says that, that the truth of that he is divine. He isn't just another man. He's, he's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And, and they had to be thinking here, he is true. He is who he said he was. He's the Messiah. He, he's our Savior. But it also says one thing very important. It says to them, he has the power over death. He was alive. They, they, they got a glimpse of this just a few days earlier when, when Lazarus was raised from the dead. But in that case, it was just a little different. You know, Jesus was around, and Lazarus was in the tomb, and he's calling him out, and Jesus is still alive. But in this case, they had, they had seen Jesus die. They had seen their Savior die. They had seen him on the cross. They had seen them take the sword and pierce it in the side. They had seen the water and the blood flow out. They knew he was dead. They knew he was dead. But in this case, all of a sudden, the angel said, he's alive like he said he would. And it says, fear not. You know, we always seem to lot, see a lot of fear with angels, don't we? It's, it's kind of typical to, to be, I mean, if you're there, if there's, if there's thunder, if there's, if there's earthquake, if there's this bright, shining guy with a big smile, <laughs> you, you wonder, no wonder they're afraid. They probably, probably have some doubts in their mind. Really believing, can this be true? Kind of the way we are sometimes. Is it really true? Is this, is this really happening? Is Jesus really who he said he was? Is he really going to do what he said he could do? And at that point, the angel makes an invitation, a wonderful invitation. And it's in verse 6. He simply says this, come and see. Come and see. What the angel's saying is, don't take my word for it. 
Eh, don't take anybody else's word for it. Come, check it out. Take a look. Examine for yourself if what I'm saying is true. Examine for yourself what you see here. And the fact is, when they peeked in there, you know what they'd have seen? A big lot of nothing. <laughs> there was nothing to see. Oh, maybe some grave clothes scattered around and folded up. But there was no body. There was no body. Come and see. A lot of us spend time at this come and see point in our lives, don't we? In fact, if you walk down through our hallway here, uh, right in the cafe, you'll see four chairs that are listed there. And they're kind of where, chairs of where we are in our spiritual life. And the first chair is the chair of exploring Christ. It's that come and see chair. And, and many of us, maybe some today here, are spending time in that come and see chair. And the thing about Christianity, Christianity in the Bible always invites us to come, check it out. Don't, don't just accept don't accept what your parents said. Don't accept what anybody else said. I mean, take their, take their advice, take their knowledge, but check it out for yourself. The Bible, the story of Christ can stand up. And people knew that, which I think is why what happened next in this story in Matthew chapter 28 happened. Those guards, after they, after they finally woke up from the punch that hit them, <laughs> They got up and they went straight to the religious leaders. And they went to them and they, it says they explained what happened. Now, I don't know how you explain this, you know, you know but they're explaining what's happened. And, and the religious leaders, the religious leaders, instead of saying, glory to God, hallelujah, wow, tell me about it. They said, tell you what, take some money, here's some money, and go tell the story you fell asleep, and the disciples snuck by you while you were falling asleep. They snuck by. They rolled the stone away. You didn't wake up. And then they went in. They had to carry the body out. You never woke up until afterwards, and they took the body, and they stole it. And tell that. And by the way, if anybody reports this to Pilate, uh, we'll take care of Pilate. Don't worry about it. The Bible says there in that scripture that that, not, that story was told to the Jews, and it was still believed and passed around to the day this was written. People have always come up with other excuses, other reasons, other, other things that says it could be anything but a resurrection, right? Somebody had to steal the body. Well, if it was, maybe it was the disciples, but that's kind of silly. Why would the disciples steal the body and then promote this falsehood, die for that falsehood? How do you explain a risen Christ being revealed to people Many people. How do you explain the coming of the Holy Spirit and the power that has come upon the church, the explosion of the church over the, the continents? How do you explain any of that if it was all a falsehood? Well, maybe it was the maybe it was, so maybe it wasn't them. Maybe it was maybe it was the Jewish leaders, some have said. They just wanted to get rid of him. Boy, if that was a dumb strategy, don't you think? If it, it didn't work. <laughs> well, what would be their motivation? Their motivation would be saying, no, here's the body. Here's the body. We found the body, but no one's ever found the body. Some have said it was the wrong tomb. They got confused. But certainly some point, somebody would have said, no, here's the tomb. Here's the body. No body. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the story? Come and see. There's all kind of theories that have gone out over the years. Gone out that they all had a, halluc a group hallucination. 
A group hallucination over 40, 50 days where they saw Christ. Uh, groups, you know, there's no such thing as a group hallucination. There's also another theory that got out pretty quickly. Some have called it the lettuce theory. It was actually that the guard, and some have, I mean the gardener, and some have said the gardener was the one who moved the body, and he did it because he had planted a garden with lettuce and people were trampling on it because they wanted to see the grave of Christ. And so he said, I'm just going to move the body. So somehow he convinced the guards to let him move the body and tell this story, and, and, and then when everything broke out and it's going crazy, he wouldn't come and say, oh, I, I got the body, don't worry about it. Nothing of this ever happened. And so the Bible says, come and see, examine and we examine these stories and we say they just don't add up. Theologian N.T. Wright wrote a book, Surprised by Hope. And he writes this. We could cope. The world could cope with a Jesus who ultimately remains a wonderful idea inside of the disciples' minds and hearts. The world cannot cope with a Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. The world could not cope with God intervening. It's too crazy, too impossible, too radical. And so rather than coming and seeing, rather than checking it out, it's like, ah, there's got to be another answer. Or maybe even worse, the answer, I really don't care. It doesn't make any difference. The whole thing is a fairy tale anyhow. Why bother? That's the way some people think. I don't need the evidence. I will just grasp onto any theory I can. One gentleman who was that way is uh, Dr. Francis Collins. Don't know if you've heard of Dr. Francis Collins or not, but he's a, a genius of a man. He's a physician. He's a geneticist. He was part of the team that mapped, in fact, he led the, the human genome uh, mapping of the, of the DNA of humans. He, his teams led the discovery of the gene that causes the disease cystic fibrosis and also was part of the teams that found the gene for Huntington's disease, among other things that I can't pronounce. Brilliant, brilliant man. Today, he is in the position of the director of the National Institutes for Health. He also was one of those who figured this was a fairy tale. In fact, he says, I believe that Jesus was a myth. Until one day he was challenged to come and see. Check it out. Don't just write off just because it doesn't make sense to you or because someone had taught you that. Check it out for yourself. Dr. Collins started to Check it out. When he checked it out, he said he was shocked to find that there was so much historical evidence, biblical and non-biblical, that Jesus existed. He was just shocked. He said, I assumed he was a myth. Then he went on and he, says, he found out even more that he was shocked to find that even the hardcore atheists agree that the historical evidence for Jesus is significant. And so he came to himself and he said, well, if, if, if Jesus existed, I need to be able to deal with it. I need to know how to react to that. In fact, he would have asked the same question that Pilate asked last week when faced with Jesus. And he says, what should I do with him? Collins said the same thing. In fact, in an interview, Collins put it this way. 
is that ultimately, I found the person of Christ an extremely appealing character with all the teaching he did, which was radical for his day. But he seemed not to be calling me just to listen to him as a teacher, but also to accept the other aspects of his divinity. He goes on to say this, and as I learned more about the evidence for his life, and even evidence for the resurrection, I mean literal resurrection, I found that very compelling. It had the ring of truth. And ultimately, I found I wanted to give myself to that. Once you've come face to face with the evidence, once we've taken that invitation of the angels to come check it out, once we've decided, yes, the evidence for Jesus is incredible, but what do I do with them? Colin says, I wanted to give myself to it. I wanted to give myself to it. Collins is a brilliant man. And he continued in a science, and he continues to, to say that science and, and, and Christianity, they, they, don't, they don't clash. They, they complement each other. He says, I see God. In fact, he said this, you can find God in the laboratory just as much as in the cathedral. He says, I, I see God at work, and I can see him, I can, and there's things I can test, yes, but there's also history, and there's history that I look at and I evaluate. I evaluate the sources. I evaluate the veracity. I evaluate who and how many, and I've come to the conclusion that this, more likely than not, makes sense. And he said, I wanted to give my life to it. And he has been giving his life to it now for 30-some years. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with the evidence? Oh, it doesn't make any difference. It's a myth. Mm. Not even atheists usually believe that, at least about Jesus, that he lived. What are we going to do with the resurrection? Come and see. Test it. Research it. Find out what's going on. But some of us, now, some of us are in that come and see chair, and I encourage you to explore Christ. But some of us have taken on a little further now, and we said, yes, I'm with, I'm with uh, uh, Collins. I've accepted. I've, I've given my life to it. There's the next command that comes from the angel's mouth, and it's for, for us today. After we come and see, after we accept, we go and tell. Go and tell. I, I can imagine, this, to me, this seems like a little unneeded, you know? You're the w- women there, and you've just heard that Jesus is raised from the dead. You've peered in, and you've seen the empty tomb. I don't think I'm going to need anybody to tell me to go, go and tell. <laughs> what do we do when we get that kind of shocking news, right? I can just imagine, this is what did not happen. The angel says, he's not here, he's not here, he's raised from the dead. And the ladies go, huh, I guess there's nothing to do here. We might as well go shopping. (laughs) That's not what happens. It's not what happens when you get big news, is it? You want to tell somebody. And he says, and the angel says, go and tell. And that's been the call to the church. It's been the call to Christ's followers all through the years. Now, Now you've got the good news. Now you believe. Now you've seen the evidence. Go and tell the good news of the gospel of Jesus. 
It's just natural. And judging from the growth of the church over the, over the centuries, over the millennials, that's, that's what happened. It was told and told and told and told. In fact, Paul, the apostle Paul, heard the same story, and he tells about it in, Rome, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a wonderful chapter explaining the resurrection. But he starts off this in Romans chapter, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Notice, I, I received, I heard it from somebody, somebody told me. And then he said, most important, I evaluated. There's an evaluation. He, 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 he came and saw. He, 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 he tested. He figured it out. And then he told what I shared with you. What I, what I passed on is what I evaluated, what I received. I received, I evaluated, I passed on. That's what we're called to do as Christians. And he says, here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas or Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, to me. As one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. He said, this is the message. This is the message that's been passed down through the years. Go and tell. Go and tell. And the scriptures tell us that that's what the ladies did. Closing now in the last two verses, Matthew 28, back to Matthew 28, verse 8 says that after being instructed, they were still very frightened, but also filled with great joy. Don't you love it that fright and joy can be in the same vessel? <laughs> because we live that way, don't we? We live with suffering and, and peace and joy. We live with difficulties in our life and joy. We live with struggles and joy. That's the way life is. These ladies probably had still some doubts in their mind. They still were fearful. You know, and I'm sure they didn't have all the theology figured out. I, they probably didn't really understand much about justification, sanctification, substitutional atonement. They probably didn't understand a lot of the theology that we later learned through Paul's writings. They probably didn't understand a lot maybe about their sins being forgiven through the sacrifice or maybe that, that the, the understanding that Paul has that because Christ is risen, we are risen. Because he has life, we have life. I don't know if they understood much of that at this time. All they knew is in the midst of their problems, in the midst of their struggles, Jesus was alive. Their Messiah was alive. And that's all they needed to know. Jesus was there. That's all they needed to know to bring them joy in the midst of the difficulties. And, this, and it closes, the next verse says this, as they went, as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. Pretty good evidence that he's not in the grave, right? And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Pretty good evidence that he's not an hallucination. Pretty good evidence that it's not just a spiritual thing. He grasped his feet, the same feet that had been pierced with nails. 
And their response was the response that we have all had through centuries when we're confronted with the living Christ. It's worship. It's to worship him. He was true to his word. He proved who he was. He conquered death. He gives life to us. And like the ladies, we worship. We worship the Lord who gave his life for us. The Lord that conquered death. The God who conquered the grave. We worship him by praising and praying and singing and rejoicing and baptizing. We worship him for who he is. I love Easter. I love Easter. You know, N.T. Wright in his book, he says, Easter is our greatest festival. It's our greatest festival. Then he says, he says, if you lose Christmas, you lose two chapters at the beginning of Matthew and two chapters at the beginning of Luke and nothing more. You lose Easter. You lose the New Testament. You lose the church. You lose Christianity. And as Paul says, we are to be most pitied because we do not have eternal life. He goes on to say, no wonder the world questions our devotion to this truth when they see us only celebrate Easter as one day tacked on the end of 40 days of suffering and fasting. He suggests that Easter ought to go on a little longer. I think that's a great idea. Easter's not just a day. Easter is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that says, I serve a risen Savior. I serve a God who's alive. It's a lifestyle that says, I'm not just going to celebrate it on Easter. I'm going to celebrate it all week. Can you do it for a whole week? Can all week this week you go out and say, hey, I've been mourning, I've been suffering, I've been fasting, I've been doing whatever I've been doing for 40 days. I can for at least one week celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we take it beyond a week. We take it into our life. And we live as if Christ is alive. And as we live as if Christ is alive in us, that's what the gospel is all about. We put up the flags. We march. We celebrate. We say we serve a God who did not stay in the grave. That's the kind of God that I want to worship. And that's the kind of God that these ladies worshiped. Would you stand with me? And I want to celebrate as we stand. I want to celebrate the, the risen Christ. I want to worship him the one who is out of the grave and is still alive today for us. Let's sing together. Come on, lift this up. Death could not hold you and
Much earlier in the service, Seth read this passage from 1 Peter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have this hope no matter what our struggles are, no matter what we've been going through. I, maybe you heard when Seth was praying the prayer for those in Sri Lanka. If you haven't heard this morning, terrible tragedy. Easter Sunday morning, as we were sleeping last night in Sri Lanka, some terrorists bombed churches and hotels, and one Catholic church, about 75, were killed. And one evangelical church in Sri Lanka, about 50 were killed. Total somewhere around 200. What a sad, sad situation. What, what, how difficult it is when we look at death. But I pray for those who are in that church, those, in those churches today. I pray that they know this living hope that's in Jesus Christ. I pray that today they are at the face-to-face -face with their Savior who is alive. You know, we never know ourselves when that could happen or anything could happen to us. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But for those who have accepted Christ, for those who have confessed and believed, there is a living hope because he lives, we live. Check it out if you haven't. If you're wondering, keep checking. Come talk with us. We'd be glad to help you as you, as you search. But go this week. Serve a living God. And have that great hope that comes through knowing we serve a Savior who's no longer in the grave, but he's alive. Let's pray. Father, go with us today. Lord, may the power of your presence speak to us, Lord. May the power of your resurrection live in us as we go out. Lord, may, that, may, the, may, the, may the new life, the power that's given to us, the resurrection, may transform us. Lord, it may it go with us as we walk out these doors. May it go with us as we get into our cars, as we get into our, go to our homes. This week in our places of work, at our schools, wherever it might be, Lord, may the power of, of the resurrected Christ living in us be so evident to people that they would hear, come and see from us as we tell the good news of what you've done in our lives. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the meaning of it. Lord, I thank you for those who have been baptized in the services. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us this week as we celebrate Easter every day because you are risen. And because Christ lives, so will we. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Go in the power of the resurrection. See you next Sunday. God is stranger. Come join us. You're dismissed. <laughs>